that lingering in our minds, the nation's rage, okay? Because it's a good, good commentary to Samuel chapters 3 and 4, which we are preaching this morning. Somehow, I'm going to try to get through two chapters this morning. Um, before I do, though, I uh, just want to note, you know, when Rick was announcing we need teachers, one of the things we've discussed as an elder team, that as a team, all of us, all the elders, will now be teaching in children's ministry as well. We're going to take each of us a couple times out of the year um, because, well, we just recognize all of your kids, we, we pastor the children as well. And it's our desire to be with the children as well. And uh, so very excited about that. So we're responding to that announcement. Um, and we're asking you to respond to that announcement also. Um, if you're not a member at Trinity, we're not asking you to respond to that announcement. But we are asking, would you become a member? Because it's important for us that those who serve in children's ministry are members of the church. Um, and yeah, I don't want to get into all of that, but that's extremely important to us. So please consider, consider that. And I'm so sorry, Christian, I forgot you mentioned one other thing. Yes, we need help in the equip classes. All right, so we've got two equip classes going on with children um, that need to be watched during that hour from eight to nine o'clock. And so if anybody could help us, you can see Austin or you could see Christian on that. And uh, yeah, we need some help there so that we can equip people. All right. So if you're not in a class, please, by all means, help us out. Okay. So chapter three and four, second Samuel, nations are raging. Okay. And nations, right? Nations are raging today. Nations rage today. They've been raging since Cain and Abel. The news is filled with daily reports of raging nations. But let's bring that a little bit closer to home. Are any of you on Nextdoor app? Any of you on Nextdoor app? I'm on Nextdoor app. If you're not on Nextdoor app, you're missing out on the raging of the nations. <laughs> it is amazing. All the raging that goes on, not in the nations, in my neighborhood. It's incredible. I'm not exaggerating. It is incredible. But let's bring it a little bit closer to home. Nations rage in our living rooms. And let's bring it a little closer to home. Nations rage in my own heart. It describes the books of Samuel pretty well. Sometimes it's a telescopic view from a distance. Sometimes it's a microscopic view from up close. But it's the folly of raging peoples. Father God, would you come and would you help us right now? As we look to your word, Lord, we just recognize the rage that exists, not just out there, but in here. And sometimes right here, in here, in, in this church, in our hearts, in our families, in our extended families, in our own living rooms. Lord, would you help us? Help us to see what we need to see from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. First point, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. I've debated how to handle so much written word. I, I think I want to start by reading in large chunk. So we're going to read to verse 21. Please follow along with me. 
you remember, this is how we ended last week. It was a summary last week. It's an introduction this week. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Oh boy, here we go. This gets really tough in verse 2. I wish someone else was reading this, all these names. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel, and his second Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And the third, Absalom, the son of Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithriam of Iglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. And all the people said, good job. <laughs> Whew. All right, well, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine. This is how he was making himself strong. Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. Are you yet, uh, and yet you charge me today with fault concerning a woman. Nations are raging. God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me. And behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all of, over all Israel to you. And he said, Good, David said. Good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring me Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michael, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. We preached that a number of weeks ago. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping after her, all the way to Bahurim. Then Abner said to him, Go return, and he returned. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin, and then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and I will, and will gather all Israel to my Lord, the king, that they, make a, they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart's desires so David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And we're going to come back in a few minutes where we're going to hear peace, peace, peace. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. 
As I said, verse 1 is an introduction, but it's also a summary of the previous section. And we might come to this where it's saying, and Saul's kingdom became weaker and weaker and weaker, and David's kingdom became stronger and stronger and stronger. And you might think verse 2 would say, and all the peoples praised him, and all the peoples turned their face to God. That's not what we have. We have a list of names. And that list of names helps us to see something. We've mentioned that polygamy is not being um, uh, encouraged here, that wherever polygamy is mentioned, disaster follows. And in that list is disaster. Rather than the people turning to the face of the Lord, the next verse tells us, here's a reminder of a fallen kingdom. Here's fallen people rubbing up against fallen people. And nations are raging. And what we read there in that list of names is actually a list. We're not going to unpack them this morning. But in that list is heartbreak, betrayal, assault, and absolute violation. So verse 1, David's kingdom's growing stronger. Saul's kingdom's growing weaker. Verse 2, mess in the kingdom. We come to verse 6. It says, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. And I mentioned, how, how is he doing that? How is he making himself strong? Well, verse 7 tells us, Saul had a concubine whose name is Rizpah, and Abner takes her to be his own. So Abner makes himself stronger by taking Saul's concubine. This is, this is more than, it certainly is a sexual act. It's more than a sexual act. It's a means to put himself in the position of the former king. It's to say what belonged to Saul now belongs to me. And so I take her. She is, she's mine. You see, in this day, revolts were often birthed by an, us, an usurper who takes for possession what once belonged to his predecessor. Moving forward, weeks from now, we'll see Absalom, Absalom, uh, David's son, will do the same thing while David is alive. Oof. So verse 7, Ishbosheth confronts Abner, and Abner explodes. He rages. It includes. Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father. Steadfast love in the original language. That's actually the language that's used of God's steadfast love towards his people. Same word. What Abner is saying here is I have been godlike in the nation of Israel. Look at my steadfast love towards the people of Israel. So he says, showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David as if it was Abner's sovereign will to not give the hand. He is positioning himself. Remember last week I was saying to us that Abner views this, this propping up of the king Ishbosheth. This is his puppet king. He holds the puppet strings over this king. Not only is Abner not saying like, that, that he wants to be king, he's, he's going one above king. He's saying, I am sovereign in Israel. I take 
what I take. I show steadfast love. I have not given you into the hand of David as if that was, yeah, his ability. And yet you charge me today. He says, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, time out, Abner. If this is what the Lord has sworn to him, clearly he knows what the Lord has sworn to him. Let's go back a chapter. And why are you setting up your puppet king to create division in Israel? Clearly he knows. So he says, now I, I will transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul to the throne of David, from Dan to Beersheba, so all the land. I keep showing steadfast love. You have nothing if it were not for me. I will turn all Israel over to David. You see, the pride here of Abner is absolutely stunning. I am the man in this kingdom. I can with little effort. It sounds Isaiah 40-like. It sounds Psalm-like where the Lord can turn the heart of a king with his finger. That seems to be how Abner is positioning himself. I am what's powerful. I am sovereign. I take this woman for my possession. And then the irony of saying, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn. The irony here is he's saying, God needs me. God needs me. He needs me to add my voice to David and my power to David to get this whole David kingdom thing done. He thinks he's the one in power, and so he takes what he wants. And the moment that his personal rights and freedoms are slightly confronted, he loses it. Who is king here? Is Ishbosheth the king that he appointed? Abner? Set up, or is it Abner? Selfish ambition is off the charts here. This is mine. Pride, I have built this kingdom in what it, into what it is so I can transfer it to another. I am what's needed here, certainly not you. And so it ends there in verse 11. Ishbosheth is now afraid. Now, in one sort of sense, Abner's right. And Ishbosheth should be afraid. This kingdom will crumble, Saul's kingdom, because the king of kings will use Abner like a pawn to accomplish his will. And David will be king not because Abner is sovereign. David will become king because God, the Lord, is sovereign. Well, we need to ask ourselves how we try to prop up our little kingdoms with a puppet king when complaining. That was me last night. When angry, when unbelieving, when fearful, it reveals I want the controls. I want to hold the strings. And when I don't have control, my response in those moments exposes where my faith and my trust and my hope live. Not in the king of kings, but in the puppet king that we prop up 
I too, like Abner, know the promises of God. He knows the promise. He knows that Dan, David is to become king. He knows that to be true. I know the truth about the Lord. But this scenario that I'm walking through today is beyond my control. It's beyond me. And so I must lay hold of what is mine. You see, church, there will be suffering in this life. Hear me again and again. And Christ is king. He's king. There will be difficulty in life. There will be difficulty in church life. There will be difficulty in family life. There will be difficulty in serving the king, in living with a desire to honor him. And all the while, Christ is king. It doesn't mean that we just have to hold our nose and serve him. And just bear up and serve him. What a joy it is to serve the living God, the King of Kings, through the hardships, through the pain. All praise belongs to him. He's the king. So I don't want to simply know the promises of God like Abner does. I want to trust in them. And I want to worship him through it all. And so verse 2, Abner sends a messenger to David. He says, make your covenant with me. And behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel. My hand will be with you. Oh boy, Abner. Master manipulator, supreme over all, both kingdoms. He bails on one to run over to another. Who's the next guy I can wield my control and who will benefit from my power the most? Verse 13, and he said, David responds, good, I'll make a covenant with you. But he requires this one thing. He would like his wife, who was to be his wife, who was promised to be his wife, Michael. He would like to have her. And that's the condition that he gives. And it's interesting, he actually engages not Abner on this, he actually engages Ishbosheth. Did you see that? And Ishbosheth delivers Michael to him, which is kind of interesting. The guy with 11 tribes is now obeying the guy with a tribe. Kingdoms are shifting, the sands of the kingdoms are shifting. And David is becoming king over a people who are still faithful and loyal to Saul. You see, to bring Michael over to David's team, if you will, is to have a piece of Saul. It's, it, it, it's not simply, well, who knows? It's not simply a love story. There's politics, there's kingdoms raging here. It's to have a part of Saul's family no longer over here, but now over here with me. It's a statement about a shifting kingdom. It's a move to unite the people. Ah, Saul's family is married into this family over here. Can you see what a mess sin makes of things? I mean, it's an absolute train wreck mess of sin. And we might think we would then read, and with one voice, the people cried out, Salvation belongs to our God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Nothing like that exists on the page. 
We thought, we maybe would think someone would be crying out, oh God, give us a better king. Are we going to live out our lives under this mess? Praise be to God. Without anybody making that cry, without anybody making that prayer, it's exactly what the Lord did. So here with fresh ears from Samuel, that as your backdrop, hear Ephesians 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off being brought near, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, shifting kingdoms. For he himself is our peace, hear that word, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Praise be to our God. And all the people said, a better king has come. I mean, amen, yeah, please, by all means, but... but but what I'm saying is nobody back there in Samuel is saying, oh, please give us a better king. But on this side of the cross, all the people say, praise be to God, a better king has come. Not because somebody back there was crying out, God, would you please save us from the mess? But in spite of them, the king comes. Sovereign salvation. Sovereign grace comes to the people. All praise belongs to him. The king has come to heal this sin-wrecked kingdom. And he does so by his blood. That's Ephesians. So back to Samuel, verse 20. When Abner came, he comes with 20 men to Hebron. David made a feast for Abner. Now, that should jump off the page. You should be going, wait, what? You're making a feast for the guy who was Saul, the king's general, who for 10 years plus hunted David down like a dog, had him hiding in caves, had him doing unthinkable things throughout all those chapters that we've already preached. Now, David says, let's feast. Wow. Okay. And the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go gather all Israel to the Lord, the king, to my Lord, the king, to make a covenant with you. I love how the Old Testament just drips gospel reminders. Here we have a feast for an enemy. And we're going to hear over and over again, peace, Abner, peace. Once again, David is found showing grace to an enemy. 
Abner, the general of Saul's army, and more recently, the power behind the whole reason there's this whole division in the kingdom, that he's the one who set up Ishbosheth to be the other king of the 11 tribes, all of the mess that we're in comes down to, well, it, it's Abner. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Abner. Innocent men would not have died. All of that. Now we come to this verse, Abner, go in peace. What? Go in peace. I read this and think this is absolutely scandalous. David, you can't let Abner go. You've killed for less. And when I think of my salvation and your salvation and the grace that's been extended to you and I, and we keep talking about the already and the not yet. You want to hear some already? We celebrated communion last week. It represents you have peace with God. You've been reconciled with the Lord already. We celebrate communion. Not yet. A feast is coming. For enemies. The Lord will set up a feast for what was once his enemies. And we will sit down, and we will again sit down with communion, and we will again sit down at an eternal feast that awaits us. It is scandalous grace what we read about here in Samuel that he says to Abner, sit down, enjoy a feast with me and go in peace. Are you kidding me? And when you think about your salvation, you should be answering, feast? Sit down with me at a feast? Go in peace? Scandalous grace. Ephesians 2 again, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Scandalous grace. We look at Abner and go to David, how could you do that? Well, turn. And say to the Lord, how could you do this towards me? So we pray, less of me, more of you, Christ Jesus. 
Less trusting in my way. More trusting in his ways. Less going it alone. And more looking to the king in Christ alone. Less my, my, my. More. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. It all belongs to you. All that I have. All that I am. am. It is yours. Less turmoil. More peace. Less fear. More hope. Less give me what I want. More, give me what you want. Less my kingdom come, my will be done. More, your kingdom come, your will be done. Secondly, when kingdoms rise and fall, violence follows. So David is making peace with Abner, and there's a feast, and all is well with the kingdom, right? Because wherever God's man is, there will be peace and prosperity, and everything works out nicely, and everybody goes home happily ever after. Blessings for everybody. Or Christians think sometimes in terms of some sort of Christian karma. Some sort of Christian karma as if there were such a thing. Karma, the good that I put out there into the universe is going to come back to me. I scratch your back, God. You scratch my back. This is not Christianity. Yes, while we do reap what we sow... While there are consequences to our sin, there is nonetheless, while living this side of eternity in the kingdom of the fallen man, under the rule of the sovereign king, a reality that the Christian can offer peace and be stabbed in the back by this world. We were sharing this week in the Tuttle community group the simple truth that the already and not yet simply means there's a not yet. And a lot of times, Christians in their theology try to bring the not yet into the right now. I want the not yet's right now's, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, the not yet's are not yet's. <laughs> and we live in a fallen world as we walk through this, this life. So we'll pick up in verse 22. Just then, the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away and had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has let him go. And he is gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that, it, that he's gone? Joab's saying, Why didn't you kill him when you had your chance? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you're doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died. For the blood of Asael, his brother. That's the guy last week who Abner... Asahel was giving chase of Abner, and Abner says, stop, stop, and he turns 
and he spears him through. All right? So that's Joab's brother is what we're being told here. For the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or lacks bread. Wow. This is David's general. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. Mourn before your enemy. Don't rejoice this killing. Mourn. And King David followed the bier. They buried Abner at Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept, and the king lamented for Abner, saying, should Abner die as a fool dies? I'm tempted. Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God, do so to me and more also. If I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it. And it pleased them as everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know what a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zariah, and more severe than I, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. He's talking about his general, Joab. So, Psalm 2, when... Kingdoms rage and peoples plot in vain. Violence can be expected. It's a regular thing throughout Scripture and throughout history. And as I said, since Cain and Abel, and it will be until the return of Christ. Violence is no surprise. Joab, the brother of Asael, the guy Abner speared. Joab, the great general under David. David's top man, if you will. Joab finds out what David has done. He loses his mind in rage. And it's interesting the switch that takes place. The enemy, Abner, sits down and feasts with the king. That guy's general sits down and feasts with the king, and the king keeps telling him, peace, like a brother relationship would be. And the friend... The brother distances himself from the king and takes matters in his own hands, undermining the king. All of this is very prodigal son-like, Luke 15. We think of it as Abner, maybe we could say, the younger son who has been off on his own in rebellion against the king to the one who provides, he's, he's against the king who provides for him, should, should be providing safety for him, should be providing 
care for him, who lavishly offers and blesses him, well, Abner comes home to the king. And the king's arms are wide open. He receives, if you will, the rebellious child with arms wide open. You know, in the day that Jesus told that parable, Christ's culture, his day, they would have been offended by that offer of peace towards the younger son. The younger son has disrespected the father and he shouldn't be received with a feast. He should be put out. And the older son in Luke 15 was offended by the father's acceptance. He comes home, what is this, what is this feasting that I hear of? What about me? The older son's offended by the father's acceptance that he threw a feast for the younger son with arms open. And we've preached before, but both sons in the parable are lost. One came to see that he was lost and repented, and one remained self-righteously lost. And so Joab goes out, and rather than trusting in his king, he takes matters in his own hands. Vengeance is mine, thus saith Joab. And he kills Abner. And the king's once friend has made himself the king's enemy. And the once enemy receives the king's honor even in his death. Stunning. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner died at Hebron. His courage failed and all Israel was dismayed. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of raiding bands. The name of the one was Benah and the other Rechab, sons of Rimon, and a man of Benjamin from Baroth. For Baroth also is counted part of Benjamin. The Barothites fled to Gitium and have been sojourners there to this day. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him and up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. lame. And his, son, his name was Mephibosheth. I can do it. I think I can. I think I can. Now the sons of Rimon, the Barothite, Rechab, and Banah set out and about the heat of the day they came to the house of Ishbosheth and as he was taking his noonday rest and they came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat and they stabbed him in the stomach this is the other king then Rechab and Benah his brother escaped when they came into the house as he lay on his bed in his bedroom they struck him and put him to death and beheaded him they took his head and went by the way of the Arabah all night and brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. Oh, boys. And they said to the king, Here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my Lord, the king, this day on Saul and his offspring. So these two individuals take it upon themselves to make David's kingdom happen. Everybody's trying to play the role of God here. Nations are raging. 
They kill the opposing king, Ishbosheth. Abner is now dead. Ithbosheth is dead. But here's the thing God has already established that David will be king. He will be king. It's like you have all these people trying to help God out. It's like Abner saying, God, you need my help to make that happen. I've got power. Let's make that happen. You've got Joab. Let me make sure we take care of that guy. You got the Bena and Rechab. We're going to take care of it. Everybody wants to do the Lord's job. We got to move this whole David is king thing along. Clearly, God needs my help. And every one of them is wrong in their desire to take matters in their own hands and make it happen. And Sarah laughed. And Moses struck the rock. And Jacob deceived. And Peter stood against Christ and the very reason he had come. How do we do the same and not trust in the Lord's sovereign hand? How do we exalt ourselves to that elevated place where we begin to think, God needs me to get this whole thing done. Let me make some things happen in the kingdom. Because I don't like waiting on God's timing. God needs me to get this thing done. David didn't say to those guys, thanks, let's sit down and have a feast. Verse 9. But David answered Rechab and Benah, his brother, the sons of Ramon the Barothite, as the Lord lives who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, When one told me, behold, Saul is dead and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag. And those boys started to shake, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed? Shall I now not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed them and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. I'm almost done, church. Hang with me for a few more minutes. And if the worship team would perhaps join me. Point number three what a mess! And a cry for a king. We might want to ask, who am I in this story? We are always trying to do that, right? When we're reading scripture, trying to impose ourselves on scripture, who am I? Am I this guy? Am I that lady? On and on. We usually like to put ourselves as the main guy. I'm the main part of this story. And it's always like the moral guy. The hero of the story. We like to think, well, I am David. And we're even preached to be David. I've, I've had these horrible sermons in my past where I preached, you can be David. Not the point. <laughs> we are David when we defeat giants in our lives. We are David when we're on the run suffering. We are the hero. We're the long-suffering. We're the ones who is hunted in this world. Can I suggest to us this morning that perhaps we're not even in the story? (laughs) Perhaps we're not even to be found on the pages. There's not a verse that exists at this point where the people say, 
where a person says, a person says, oh God, you're the king. We're in a mess and we need you. That should be the entire cry of all the Old Testament. Oh God, we're in a mess and we need you. Oh God, we asked for a king. Oh, you gave us one. We're in a mess. Oh God, even here with David, it's a mess. I'm calling it a mess. It's sin. It's sinful humanity. It's the, it's the kingdoms of man. It should be the cry of the Old Testament. The overall theme should be, God, deliver us from us. Deliver us from ourselves. And the people fell on their faces and worshiped him. No. And the people humbled themselves because they realized how needy they were for a savior. No. Sinners in need of a savior and they didn't even know it. And the savior came. Not because of them, in spite of them. Not because the crowds gathered and said, we need a king, a better king. We need the king of kings. No, in spite of them. I want to read the Old Testament and realize, well, I want us as a church to be that person that's not on the page in our day. I want us to learn, is what I'm saying. Let's learn from the books of Samuel. Let's learn from them to, that, that we might be humbled, that, that we might be moved to worship. Because the king of kings came, not because they were crying out for him. He came in spite of humanity to save humanity. Even though humanity didn't know it needed to be saved, it's called grace and I'm saying to us this morning it's scandalous so who are you in the story perhaps you're the man of God or the woman of God who's not written on the pages who recognizes humbly I need you I need a savior not only for the salvation of my I need God day by day and you crying out to him for yourself for your children, for your grandchildren, for your church, for the next generation. You're crying out for your country. You're crying out for missionaries around the world who are being persecuted, some of them to their death. Would you stand with me? Lord God, thank you. You're the king. You're the king that the people weren't even asking for. You're the good and gracious king. You're the king in all these songs that we've been singing now for months that just declare and proclaim. You're the king. Lord, help us to submit our lives. Help us to put down the puppet strings. Help us stop trying to elevate ourselves above you and trying to be our own sovereign. Help us to humble ourselves and cry out to you, God, we need a better king. And the king has come. The king has come and now we know him. 
So let us lift up our voices and worship the King of Kings.